to the Litigation Psychology Podcast brought to you by Courtroom Sciences. Dr. Steve Wood with me, Dr. Bill Kanaski. Bill, how are you? 150, baby. 150. Episode 150. Boy, we've come a long way. I know. I was going to say, who would have thought when we started this that 150 episodes later, we'd still be doing it? Well, supportive audience, um, a lot of fun, and hopefully we're helping uh, disseminate information. Yeah. Got a lot of good information today, right? We're going to touch on for 150. We have some good inf- information, but of course we can't start there. I mean, right. come on. Because I, I, I did not keep the statistics, but I'm pretty sure out of the 150 podcasts, which I've been part of most of them, I think I've ranted on at least over 100. They, you think I'm over 100? I think. Yeah, I think you're getting close. Yeah, for sure. But for, for, for 150, and trust me, I've got my rants all lined up for today, but for episode 150... Dr. Wood, that would be you. You are going to lead us off with your rants because I'm just going to pile on top of this because I'm all about gym etiquette, big time. And now, now the gym is packed with a bunch of people that should not be there. And, you know, oh, by the way, Happy New Year, right? Yeah. 2023, everybody has their unreasonable fitness resolutions and clogging up the gym parking lot, taking up every machine. They have no idea what they're doing. But, uh, Please, let's go on the Dr. Wood rant. I can't wait for this. Yeah, obviously, we, I've spent too much time with you because now I'm ranting about exactly what, but I think it's this healthy. it's healthy. Get it off your chest, Steve. Yeah, this this actually, I think, to your point about the new year and people going into the gym and gym etiquette, please, yeah. please, please do not be the person who slams your weights and bangs your weights around. Uh, are they gr- I, are they grunting too? Is there grunting going on? No, I don't lifting? necessarily mind the grunts because you know every once in a while you need to grunt on the on the last nine or ten you know the reps, but the the slamming of the weights is it drives me nuts. Uh, I've been much? going to the gym for almost thirty years, and I have always seemed to manage to not slam my weights, even though I'm going heavy. I just I just don't. I, I find a way to control them and put them back. So it always just boggles my mind when someone drops their weights from you know four feet off the ground or slam. Does it make you feel tougher? Does it make you feel tougher? It's gotta be, it's gotta be what it is, but I can tell you all it is, is distracting to all the other people around you. And it causes my blood pressure to go through the roof and it's actually distracting to me. Very distracting. Well, there, that was, that that was a hell of a rant. Now, now here's, I'm going to rant on you for gym etiquette now. And I want to tell you, is this better or worse as far as the things you don't do at the gym? The, the guy that like uses the bench press loads it up with 250 and then walks away and just leaves all the weight on the, yeah, on the bar. That, oh. I'm like, dude, dude, <laughs> what are you doing? You don't do that. No, no, you don't take care of your, your weights, weights, put back. your weights back. Yeah. Well, I ran, I ranted the other day on one of my solos that's going to be uh, put out here soon. Um, which is, which is, I think epically worse than both of the two situations in the gym guys that guys that wear cologne to the gym. Oh, <laughs> that's dist- that's distracting. Please tell yeah. me you don't wear cologne to the gym, do you? No, I, I don't wear. Cl- Why no. in the world would you? I, I guess I guess I guess if you're a single guy, I guess I get the picture. But to the to the gym. Yeah. I can smell I get- this dude from 25 feet. Away. I'm trying to you know, I'm trying to leg press 700 pounds, you know, and I, I get this, you know, whiff of not whiff. It was like overwhelming, you know, uh, obsession for men or whatever it was. I guess I almost want to tell the guy, like, what are you doing? Maybe it's it's better than the alternative to for that. Well, that was the other thing. It's like, you know, if you smell like ass, 
right? And I can, I, I smell that from 25 feet away. I mean, both are equally as bad in my book. Yeah. I don't lose, know. lose. It's a, it's a lose, lose situation. Well, I'm glad we got that out of our system. Yeah, we did. And I think, I think one thing I want to say uh, to all of our listeners, particularly ones that have made these unreasonable resolutions uh, with your fitness and health, do not hurt yourself at the gym, right, Steve? You see you know, people that haven't worked out in eh, six months, maybe a year. You see, and you know them, right? You can oh, yeah. spot them at the gym. They have, you, you know, what I'm talking about, oh, yeah. right? Like they kind of look at that machine, like, hmm, they scratch their face and then they're looking around and then they kind of look over both shoulders and they jump on. They have no idea what they're doing. That's a good way to be down on a couch for the next three weeks, exactly. right? Exactly. Yeah. Gosh. Let less, even if you have to go less weight, better form. Just do that. Yeah. The, the nice thing, unlike our hotel gyms, uh, my gym has all the dumbbells. Yeah. Gosh. Yeah. There's not, there's not one of each. There's actually two that you can use. Who's who's who, who takes a 10 pound dumbbell? I don't understand. I, I, I just don't understand. I mean, if you're going to steal dumbbells, take both of them. Yeah. I don't understand why you want to take. I, I, don't, I don't get it. Maybe maybe I'm missing something. I don't know. Who knows? Um, all right. Let's get this show started. I, I, I've got my list here. OK, rants. We can check that off. Uh, yeah, let's talk. Uh, love talking about witness testimony so uh, uh this phenomenon that i'm trying to explain to all the witnesses and i know that you do the same thing is what i have termed i turned this a long time ago uh, i call it cognitive momentum otherwise known as the yes train you know what i'm talking about right oh, yeah. the yes train yeah your witness hops on the yes train and it's just yes 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 and that is a very, very bad train to be on because it's the destination uh, is not a is not a positive one. And so here's the thing. So the questioning attorney, right? They what they need, and I, I tell every witness this to kind of give them the broad scope of this, right? They need yeses from you, and sometimes you got to say yes because why? It's a factual question. And so, but they have to have yeses to some of these non-factual questions and that's where you get in trouble. So to establish this, they wanna get this witness on the yes train. So how do you get a witness on the yes train? Well, this is just throwing them easy factual questions that are non-threatening. And I mean, you can sit there and rattle off 12, 13, 14, 15, 20, whatever. And you're going to force the witness to say yes. So I tell the witness, yeah, if you say yes, three times in a row, ding, 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 like alarm bells should be going off in your brain because you're being set up. And then as you know, Steve, as those yeses start coming out, and these are easy questions designed to force the witness to say yes. What happens is the witness brain says, Hey, this ain't so bad. This is where the momentum occurs. And the brain starts assuming, well, gosh, you know, I just got asked nine easy questions in a row. <sighs> I mean, 10, 11, 12, they, they must be the same thing. And so this momentum for brain get the brain gets lazy. And then the yeses start to come even faster. Okay. So, and I can tell you this, <laughs> if you're a defense attorney and you're defending a deposition, and your witness is on the yes train, uh, you kind of, uh, well, A, it's a runaway train, number one. B, uh, the attorney just has no control, right, at that point. It's, yeah. 
I mean, train's going to crash, going to crash into something. Um, and so let's talk a little bit about this. Yes. Train, uh, and the speed. So number one, the, um, the witness needs to be aware of the setup. They need to be aware of the setup. Meaning if, uh, I mean, I mean, Steve, you coached baseball for how long? Well, well, I'm going on what now? 10 years before, before did not, did you get booted? Did you get booted out of the league? No, I did not get booted out. You were not, I, I swore I saw you on YouTube, like punching a umpire or something. That wasn't, no, you. that did, that did happen around our area though. It just wasn't me. Okay. Yeah. Yes, it did. Yes, it did. <laughs> and so, as you know, when, when, a, when a pitcher is going to set a batter up, they're not throwing their best pitch first, right? No, no. They're going to set up, set them up. Can you talk a little bit to our audience about you know, how the questioning attorney wants to set them up? and get them very cozy and comfortable with these agreements and how that momentum forwards, because you're going to save that curveball or that split finger fastball for down the road. Yeah. And to your point is the yes train. Once you get them going is they get comfortable, they get in that cognitive momentum and then they get answered a question or asked a question where the answer is not necessarily yes, but they say yes anyway, mm -hmm. because like you said, it's, it's what they've been saying and it gets to the point too, where they're comfortable mm -hmm. saying yes everything's going along smooth. Everything is, is yeah. friendly. And if they were to not say yes and, and say something else, then they're going to feel like they're being disingenuous or they're lying or they're being combative. And then they're afraid opposing counsel is going to say, whoa, 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 hold on. Wait a second. So, so you're telling me that you're saying it depends or generally yes, or not necessarily that that's your answer. And all of a sudden the, the witness goes, uh Oh, now things aren't going as well as they used yeah. to be. So they want to be able to keep that, as you said, keep everything smooth, smooth sailing and not be combative and feel comfortable with the responses. Which is why we train, not tell, train witnesses to force in that cognition before every question. You, you can't just turn it on, right? You can't just turn your brain on when you want to. No. Right? You can't, you can't do it. And every witness says, like, I still need to pause two seconds, even if it's an easy. Yes. Yes, you do. Cause you don't know when that curveball is coming. And so what that gap of time does it protect, it's a filtration system. It protects you from that, that curveball or that split finger fastball or the one coming at your head because you're taking the time to fully process and not getting into this. Yes, 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 yes. Momentum. And you know what this is, Steve? This is the, uh, and I, I, I used to tell this story a lot and people, in fact, people come up to me now after I speak and like, you didn't tell the, the Simon says story. You didn't tell it until <laughs> that story for 15 years. And what this is, it's the Simon says principle. Now, are you two, you remember Simon says, I remember Simon says, yes. Okay. Uh, I think our young attorneys, uh, and in the audience, and we have several young attorneys in this audience, they maybe have no idea what I'm talking about. They may have to look this up. But the whole okay, so Simon says, so you get a group of kids, and the story is my son was like five, turning five, and my wife's like, Hey, we're gonna have a birthday party. I said, Great, you know, let's go to Chuck E. Cheese, right? And let let 25-year-olds destroy Chuck E. Cheese. I hand them my credit card. You know, it's a win-win situation. She's like, no, we did that last year. I want to have the party at the house. And I'm like, no, I don't want the party at the house. I mean, have you ever had 25-year-olds in your house, Steve? No, it sounds like a nightmare. It's a nightmare and like damage is done to your house. I mean, kids spilling Kool-Aid, right? All kinds of stuff. They're breaking shit. So she insists, 
we're having the party at the house. I'm like, oh God, this is terrible. She's like, oh, you can hang out with the dads. It would be great, right? The adults would do their thing. I'm like, oh, this is going to be awful. So I got 20 kids in my house. I slept in Chicago and I'm avoiding, I'm avoiding. I mean, I'm very avoidant of these kids. I'm trying to do everything. I'm sneaking away to watch the game. My wife's like, you've got to participate in this thing somehow. I'm like, well, what do you want me to do? She's like, well, play a game with the kids. So what, what, what am I going to do? She goes, I don't know, figure it out. I'm like, what am I going to do with five-year-olds? And I went, hey, when I was five, you know, my parents played Simon Says. So I gather all the kids up. I said, okay, we're going to play Simon Says. I explained the rules. Now, you remember the, the premise of this game, right, Steve? You remember? Yes. Yeah, you can't yeah. do it. If, if, if Simon doesn't say it, then you shouldn't do it. Yeah, so you give a command. And if it's Simon Says, do X, you got every, you know, you got to do X. And if, right. And, and, but if you give a command, but you don't say Simon Says, you're supposed to ignore it, right? And it, but if the if the kid still does it, that kid's eliminated, right? Yeah. And you're gonna do this with a group of kids. So I start, you know, Simon says, stand on one foot. They all stand on one foot, right? Simon says, touch your nose. I'll tell you. Simon says, raise your hand, right? Right. And we all, I just keep doing this, right? And I go through like nine or ten commands. And on number eleven, I say, touch your ear. And like all of them, all of them, just boom, immediately. Oh, why? And they all laugh, right? And then we start over, we keep doing it. But I get, I get, I mean, if there's 20 kids, like 19 of them fall for it. Yeah. Okay. The one kid picking his nose, not paying attention. Okay. Maybe he survives. He survives one round. So I keep doing this. And I, and Steve, I'm unbeatable. I'm unbeatable in the game. Why? I'm, I'm, I, I'm cognitive momentum. I've got them on the yes train, right? With the Simon says, Simon says, Simon says, Simon says, Simon says, and then I slip in my curveball, and they all they all fail. And yeah, and you could bet if you would. Yeah. I was gonna say you could bet if you didn't do Simon says that many times, they probably wouldn't. You wouldn't have caught as many of them, honestly. Exactly, because right? I got the momentum going, so they all fail. This is okay. So they started assuming. I got the, I got the train going. I developed cognitive momentum. And every one of those kids assumed the next thing out of my mouth is going to be a Simon Says command because the last 10 things were, okay? It's the exact same cognitive principles that we're talking about in the deposition or the trial testimony. So I do a little neuropsychological experiment at this point. So after doing five or six rounds of that, I said, okay, we're still going to Simon I'm going to change the rules here. I go, same rules still apply. I go, yeah, Simon says, right, you, 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 you follow the command. Simon doesn't say you're supposed to ignore the command. I go, but here's the new rule. You have to wait three seconds before you decide what you're going to do. Everybody got it? Got it. So I'm like, okay, here we go, right? Um, you know, Simon says, you know, raise your hand. One, one thousand, two, one thousand, three, one thousand. Okay, go ahead. You know, all the kids raise their hand. Uh, Simon says, put your hand on your belly. One, 1,000, two, 1,000, three, 1,000. Everybody puts their hands on their belly. Okay. Simon says, you know, put your hand on your cheek, right? One, 1,000, two, 1,000, three. All the kids put their, so I keep doing this with this three second delay, right? Mm -hmm. So then I get to like the 15th command and I say, touch your nose. One, 1,000, two, 1,000, three, 1,000. Guess how many kids end up touching their nose? Um, zero. None, none of them. None of them. Why? I, 
I've broken the momentum. I have forced cognition on every command. Like I forced the witness into cognition on every question. And my curveball is blatantly obvious. Okay. So that's what we're doing with the witnesses is if they get into that momentum, that cognitive momentum, they get in that yes train and it starts going quickly. It's a runaway train. And that's my Simon says story. And yes, it works with witnesses. And, uh, yeah, and my kids are too old for that now. <laughs> Bill, I got a question though, is yes. what do you, what do you talk to witnesses about though, when they start slowing down and opposing counsel kind of sees what's going on, knows that they're slowing down, tries to speed them up. I mean, what do you tell witnesses as far as that goes? Well, I tell witnesses, I say, so here's kind of part two of this. I go, what a good attorney, any good cross-examiner, doesn't have to be a defense, a plaintiff attorney, defense attorney, any good cross-examiner will have the next question ready to go right at the witness the moment they start, they stop speaking. So the next thing the witness needs to look out for is the questioner's attempt to increase the speed, right? It's kind of like, it's kind of like when Michigan state plays North Carolina, right? Let's, let's just go there. Cause I want to start the new year. Just <sighs> here we go on you, <laughs> by the way, we suck. God, we eat Tar Heels are just terrible right now. But let's go to like 2009 in the championship game. I'm just ripping over, ripping open uh, old wounds here, Steve. Yep. It's, you know, uh, uh, Michigan State would come down and, you know, use 27 seconds of the shot clock and they would make a shot. And then the moment that ball goes through the net, Carolina gets it, whoo, I mean, right down the court and they score within the first five seconds of the shot clock. And then Michigan State comes back, walking it up the court. And then even if they score, boom, North Carolina, like pushing the pace, pushing the pace. And if the other team falls into the faster pace, they're going to, like, which is exactly what happened yeah. in that Turnover game. prone state. Well, exactly. So, um, so I tell the witness, be ready that the next question is going to come right on top of the last one. And that's the attempt to get you out of that. Now, how long does this pause have to be? Again, it's a balancing act. Right. Well, yeah. Yeah. I mean, if the question is, you know, what year did you start with the company? Well, 1,000, 2, 1,000, 3, 1,000, 4, 1,000, 5, 1,000. Yeah. I started in the company in 2001. Well, okay. That's, that's ridiculous. Right. But that can be a 1, 1,000 to 1,000 answer. And just that response alone, that I'm sorry, that delay alone will provide you with the filtration system you need to not fall for the trap. It eliminates the cognitive momentum and there have been years in which michigan state uh humiliated north carolina in basketball and that's what they did they they slowed it down they used precision they used uh, physicality and they wouldn't let the tar heels run up and down the court and that was a huge advantage for michigan state so you know lesson learned here is the witness needs to slow this thing down be aware of the yes train it's coming and then be able to recognize that and have the witness brain say, aha, I know what's going on here. This is a setup. Maintain that gap of time of cognition before they start answering and they won't fall to Simon says, won't fall into the cognitive momentum. All right. Um, second thing we need to cover uh, on the same topic here, which is um, a new concept I've come up. Um, the process isn't new, but I just, I'm putting a name on it. I'm calling it the repetition spin cycle, the repetition spin cycle. So related to our first topic, the yes train is the questioning attorney 
they must get yeses, right? That's their goal. And what happens is when the witness is going slow, forcing cognition, not getting into the you know, cognitive momentum, they're able to catch the trick questions, those tricky hypotheticals, for example. And they're going to be able to say, well, not necessarily in all situations or not always. You know, sometimes, maybe, it really depends on the circumstances. And then what happens is, because the question didn't get a yes, we have this repetition. And sometimes it's just obnoxious. I mean, you and we have these videotapes of depositions that we show the witnesses. Oh my, I mean, sometimes they ask the same question seven consecutive times. And you, you, you get, it depends for six. And on question seven, the witness says, okay, fine. Yeah, you're right. And boy, is that bad. So the witness secondarily needs to be ready for the repetition spin cycle. Steve, talk a little bit about the, um, the uh, there's a social psychology behind, I mean, persistence pays off, right? That's the best of phrase. Persistence pays off. And it's really uncomfortable to say it depends 17 times in a row. I guess kind of talk about what the brain's doing there when it, it's, it's, you get this repetition. At some point, the brain's like, God, this sucks. Yeah, I mean, it's it's kind of the whole idea of negative reinforcement, where you're being introduced with a negative stimuli yep. repeatedly, and the outcome is to get you to do something that's going to essentially increase the behavior. Yeah. And in this situation, the negative stimulus, right, obviously is the repeated questions, and you're giving the same answer over and over again, but the questions won't stop, and you want the questions to stop. So you'll say, okay, well, I need to do something different to get these questions to stop, and that then leads to the yes answer. And then, like I said, it goes away. The questioner goes away and asks a new question. Well, keep going. Like I said, now you've increased the, the, the frequency of these responses to these questions. So then, like I said, now you're down back into the yes train and now you're giving bad answers because as you know, the six or seven, it depends or other answers are, are not going to be ones that make it in front of the jury. It's going to be the yes response and no one's going to see the it depends or not necessarily or whatever your answer is in front of it. Yeah, I mean, negative reinforcement is powerful. And again, we did a, we've done a couple of podcasts. Yeah. No one understands it. But again, it's a persistent negative stimulus and your brain wants to get rid of the stimulus. And that's the part. So let's let's talk about the one video that we show witnesses, the, the corporate rep from the uh, convenience store. Oh, yeah. Yeah, that it's so bad because the plaintiff attorney saying, and then this is the company's responsibility to its customers, correct? And the guy says four times, no, I, I disagree. That's, you know, I would say it differently. And in that video, I show every witnesses, that defense attorney was amazing. He objected, objected again, and then objected and said, you know, you've asked this question three times. He's answered it. You just don't like the answer, yeah. right? So they start going after. And then like the fifth time, he asks the same question. And the defense attorney says, objection, asked and answered. And this corporate rep sits there. And I mean, just sits there. And you see the look, and you're like, don't do it. <laughs> don't. You're like, do not do it. Don't do it. And he's like, yes. And I'm like, <laughs> shit. God. It's, it's I, I cannot stand. I can't stand, I can't stand that video because he had it, he had it. And Steve, you know this video, he asked the same exact question over and over and over again. So what do you do with your witnesses to prepare them for that? I mean, I, a lot of it, the biggest thing is I always tell them is 
to be prepared for the fact that you're going to get asked the same question over and over again. But I always tell them if, if the honest, accurate, truthful answer is some variation of it depends, which I know some people would love to think we tell witnesses to only say it depends, which is not factually correct, but that's for a whole nother podcast. But the truth of the matter is if that's the truthful, honest, accurate answer, then I don't care how upset opposing counsel gets at you and how many times they ask you, because for you to say yes to that is not true. And it's also not good for the case. So, I mean, it's a double whammy. Not only is it not true, it's not good for the case. Exactly. By the way, my phone's just buzzing right now. Um, my flight to Houston's delayed. Um, Southwest. But yeah, so, so, oh, so, no, last, yeah, so last week, this last week the, whole, the, whole, the whole family got caught up in the Southwest. Uh, okay, two words. Shit show. Oh my God. Uh, yeah. So my wife's like, uh, yeah. Uh, when are you going to rebook my flight? You're like, uh, four days. Uh, no, 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 no. So I called United, got that money United flight. Of course, Paul Motes is gonna be like, I told you. Well, remember he was texting me. Oh yeah. Telling me your airline sucks. Uh, so I get my United to, to get him out of, uh, LAX. Oh gosh. What a nightmare that I might even tell you what that cost me. To get them out of there. I'm filing a claim against Southwest. And they're my go-to, man. But, man, that was a nightmare. Yeah. Yeah. Well, I mean, I guess, like you said, there's some weather, some bad weather here. So that must be why your, your flight's delayed. Yeah. Well, you know, that amongst other things. Thank you, Southwest Airlines. I, yep. I just, by the way, I just gave Southwest Airlines a bunch of love on my solo Thanksgiving podcast. You remember that? Yeah. You might actually be the jinx. Maybe you actually brought it on. So you're bad. You're bad. You you put bad juju on Southwest. Delta's Delta's my number two. They they really never let me down. But but Southwest goes direct to a lot of places, and I don't have to go to Atlanta with Southwest. So you know how that goes. Yeah. Um, okay. Uh, final topic here, uh, and then probably some more ranting. I got plenty. Um, and this one I'm gonna because this is uh, you wrote a paper on this, Steve, about attorney credibility, and um. Okay, I'm going to set this up for you very carefully because um, obviously I don't want to um, tip off anybody. Okay, so this, uh, we did a mock trial last year there, 2022. I'm not saying where we did it. And um, it, let's just say it's a very high exposure case. And um, the uh, defense attorney uh, was him, he was himself during the mock trial. And one of the other defense attorneys role played uh, plaintiff's counsel, we had another defense attorney role play co-defendant. Um, and these results did not come out good. And there's certain reasons for that, but the, uh, uh, the attorney performance uh, here uh, and the attorney's uh, credibility, um, how these um, jurors perceived, and by the way, this is a veteran 30 plus year trial attorney with probably 100 trials under his belt. Um, why don't you talk um, uh, about that and kind of what happened and, and, and why it turned out so negatively? Because this isn't you and I coming up with this stuff. These are, these are mock jurors giving us this information. Yeah, so I think this is a topic, obviously, I, I, I write a lot about. It's what yeah. my dissertation was on. It's what my thesis was on was attorney credibility. And sometimes I don't think there's enough focus on it or attention on how you're being portrayed by jurors. It's more or less of, well, here are the case facts. If I argue the case facts loud enough, or I, I you know, put together a coherent narrative, it doesn't really matter 
how I come across or how I'm perceived by jurors. But the truth of the matter is that's not the case. I mean, obviously jurors are, are looking and evaluating the witnesses, but they're also evaluating the attorneys. So in this case that you're referring to, there was a situation where the defense attorney was viewed very negatively by the jurors. The jurors felt that he was condescending, felt that he was portraying himself as to be smarter than them. He, he just did a lot of things that offended them almost to the point where jurors basically said, if this case were to be tried, I think you should probably look for different counsel because this attorney is going to poorly represent your company. So, and I think, like you said, that really hurt the case facts yeah. because it, it, what ends up happening, right? It's just much like we would talk about with witnesses. Jurors have this lens that they're going to filter information through and they're going to see whether or not they find the witnesses to be credible, likable, and then you, whether or not they do, they'll use yeah. that information. Same thing with the attorneys. If, if they don't find you likable, they don't find you credible, your arguments are not going to carry the same way, even though they might be good arguments, even though they might be credible arguments, jurors can't get over the fact that the mouthpiece that is giving those arguments is just not someone who they find credible, likable, and, and don't really want to side with. Well, yeah, it did not, it did not um, work out. Um, I found this again, this is a good attorney. Um, very, mm -hmm. very good attorney. Um, I found him to be old school. It, I honestly, know what, it, know what it was? I, it was kind of like if, if Bobby Knight came out of retirement and started coaching right now, how many games would he last? Probably not very many. Probably not very many. Because <laughs> yeah. it's a generational thing. Uh, I, think, I think he went old school. I think he did what he normally does. Um, and I think with, you know, juries have changed. Uh, generational, uh, definitely, uh, you know, Gen X, Y, and now Z. Um, different people that Re, yeah that respond to different types of of uh of styles uh what would you recommend to um veteran attorneys uh the bobby knights right <laughs> um um of the defense bar um maybe some adjustments they have to make to today's jurors because that uh well, well think about it i mean you can't parent the same way i can't parent the same way my parents are my grand. By the way, my my great grand, my great grandmother used to take off her shoe, and like like smack us with the shoe. Yeah, that's how old I am. I mean, you know, you do that, and you know, you're you're the front page of the Orlando Sentinel, right, in jail or on or on or on YouTube. Um, what are some things that that veteran attorneys can do and maybe adjust their style a little bit to today's jury so that they, they come across. Uh, in a way that they maintain their credibility. I think one of the first things is just being open, open to change. I know, I mean, all, all of us get stuck in our kind of our own ways, especially if you, like you said, you're a 30 year attorney or someone who's very experienced, they got a style that's been successful for you, but yeah. now you're getting to a point where it might not be is, you know, be open to change. And I would actually talk to the younger attorneys who are more in that age range, because I'll tell you what we saw and what we have seen is that some of these younger attorneys may not be as good as far as their arguments that are being made, or they might not be as comfortable up in front of a jury arguing cases, but I'll tell you what, jurors seem to like them, find them more credible and yeah. seem to think that they're genuine. And, you know, like you said, when, when you look at the, how they, how it plays out, how the grading of kind of the credibility, you see those younger attorneys actually do better because I think they do a better job or at least have a better understanding of how to connect with the jurors. So I would say, reach out to those younger attorneys, find out what they're doing, what their thoughts are, 
on it and then just be open to the feedback. Cause I know it's going the other way, right? It's going from the young yeah. attorneys asking the more experienced attorneys on how to do things, but I think it needs to flow both ways so that they can both help each other. Yeah. And I think that there, um, I think that there, there are ways for defense counsel to be aggressive and you can attack a co-defendant if they're adverse to you or even the plaintiff in certain cases or, or the plaintiff's experts. I mean, but there, there's a, there's a way to be aggressive without being belligerent. Right. I mean, and, and that's I think one of the things, go ahead. As I say, you know, if you're Bobby Knight and you're throwing the chair across the, what was that? Like night is like 1987. Right. Yeah. I mean, I think they won the championship that year. Um, you know, if you do that today and you come out, um, you know, um, too aggressive, I think that can be uh, a huge turnoff with today's jurors. And I think there's a delicate balancing act of being an aggressive advocate for your client and just being an aggressive attorney. Yeah. You know, like you said, and I think that going back to one of the things we were, you were talking about and that we've seen before is where jurors don't like when defense counsel or plaintiff counsel is essentially being aggressive towards yeah. the other attorney. Right. You know, if you're going to attack, don't necessarily attack the other attorney. You can attack the evidence. You can attack other aspects, but not necessarily calling into question the, the ethics and the credibility of opposing counsel because you don't gain anything there. Yeah. In fact, uh, some of the very, very best plaintiff attorneys I have seen in front of juries. They're not like that. No, mm, they know how to connect with the jury and they can be passionate. I think you can you can passionately you know, advocate, uh, for your client, uh, without, <laughs> without being an asshole. Right. Yeah. Yeah. Wow. That's the take home, right? Don't be an asshole. That's the take home. Do not like be it. an asshole. Uh, yeah. So great advice for 2023. Don't <laughs> be an asshole, please. Um, so I'm going to, so I'm going to, let's end this podcast. Um, oh, how was your, uh, new, new year's Eve? It was good. It was, it was, it was beautiful. I mean, nothing could have been better than to watch the university of Michigan. Just we were lose. texting all night. Th yeah. These games were insane. And I knew if Michigan, and just so everybody knows, um, Steve's spouse is uh, a massive uh, Michigan fan. Um, so they have a split household with him being the Michigan state fan. Uh, I still don't know how that works to begin with. Um, regardless, um, I figured you were, if Michigan won that game, I didn't think you're sleeping on the couch. I think you're sleeping in the garage. Yes. And um, I won't repeat what you were texting me during the game. Highly, highly inappropriate for the podcast. Very <laughs> appropriate for the, it was very excellent game banter. Um, but I tell you, if Ohio State would have won, every Michigan fan would have jumped off a bridge. Um, I, so every, every Michigan fan was very happy that Georgia pulled that out because if, if, if Ohio state makes that field goal at the end, it's, um, it's a very, yeah, was, very, very, yeah. <laughs> I, I, uh, I, I cemented my place in the doghouse as I was standing, getting ready for that field goal. And then was visibly upset when Ohio state missed it. And I turned and looked at my wife and oh, she had you a lucked look out. At, you like, you know, of, of the nine Michigan fans I know who I did not mess with. No, 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 no. I waited a day or two, right? And every one of them independently said the same thing. Yeah, at least Ohio State lost. Mm -hmm. Yeah, because if they would have won, boy. So, uh, but yeah, uh, rough day for the Big Ten. So, so I went over uh, my best friend's uh, place, 
and he had a couple of people over. Uh, and this is going to be an interesting story. Then we'll, then we'll, then we'll get going. Now, before I tell this story and we have not rehearsed this. Okay. So you like cheese and crackers, right? I mean, yeah, everybody, everybody sees your crackers. Okay. So you have your choice and you can't say other. Okay. Okay. You've got Triscuits. You've got Ritz and you got wheat thins. Okay. So if you're mm. your choice, like, Hey, I'm going to have some cheese and crackers. Wh- where are you at in this? This is a very important topic to me, by the way. Uh, I, I think my, my, I would have to go with Triscuits personally. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Cause boy, was I just going to, I was just going to mow you down <laughs> if you had said anything else. Right. So I'm texting today with, I'm going to Houston. I'm going to meet uh, one of my favorite clients. Her name's Brenda Smith. She's a trial attorney out of Omaha. Um, I love Brenda. Well, f- f- number one, she's a great human being. Number two, she's a very talented attorney. Number three, she somehow tolerates all of my shit. Somehow tolerates. I, Steve, she, she does laugh at all my jokes. And she's the type of, like, she tries not to laugh, but she knows it's so damn funny. She can't help herself. So she'll start with a smile and try to hold it in. And then she's just, you know, burst out in laughter because I am hilarious. And so I'm texting her. I asked her this question, right? I asked her this question, the cracker question. This is an important question. She comes back, right? And says, um, wheat thins. I knew it. I'm going, what? <laughs> Wait, okay, here's the problem with wheat thins right now. Number one, it's not enough crackers, Steve. Like you have to eat seven of them at once to get some fulfillment out of a wheat thin. They're too small. They're too they're wheat thins, right? I'm very anti uh, wheat thin. Then, then I'll oh, get this. Then she says, and if if I if there was no wheat thins available, I'd pick Ritz. Oh my God, Steve! Ritz Ritz could be the worst cracker ever ever made. Do you know when the last time I ate Ritz crackers? A- ask me. Ask me. When was the last time you ate a Ritz cracker, Bill? Uh, I was in the second grade, and my mom put them in my lunchbox, Steve. Second grade. D- they're kids' crackers. You don't give those to adults. No, no, Triscuit is the only way to go. Perfectly balanced. Got great flavors too. Ritz is like the, ugh, God. Well, I'm glad I, I'm Third glad I got that answer. country of Correct. crackers. I mean, just absolutely awful. I did not want and, to be on the tail end of this rant. So I'm glad I was the Triscuit. Oh yeah. Favorite. Oh yeah. So I get, I get to see her the next two days. And I told her, I'm like, I'm talking about this on the podcast. She's like, that's not an important topic. I'm like, yes, it is. And so this is fine. Right, so I go over to my buddies, right? And I, because he texts me before, he's like, hey, what do you want a snack? I'm like, cheese and crackers, right? Well, I go over there and his girlfriend comes out with this platter of cheese and crackers and there's, and there's Ritz, there's Ritz crackers. Oh man. And I, I just lost my mind and I was joking. I mean, I was joking. I'm like, what kind of freaking party is this? New Year's, wait, New Year's Eve party and you're serving you know how I am. Like I fake like I'm serious and I'm not, I'm being very sarcastic. And it turns out their, their other friends came over the, the other friends bought, brought the Ritz. And I, I, so I was like, Oh shit. I'm like, I'm just kidding. I'm just, but I refused to eat the Ritz. And so uh, they did have Triscuits. They brought out a full plate of Triscuits and I just went to town on the, on the, by the way, the, the rosemary flavor of the Triscuits cannot purely addicted. Gotta have them. Well, I know I'm gonna be, my house. I know I'm gonna send you a box of Ritz here. Uh, no, no, so no, no, no. Those on no. your front steps. 
no, 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 no. If you, if you, if you, if you, if you have a, if you have a, a, a six-year-old, yes, you should have Ritz in your house. If you don't have a six-year-old, then no, no, it's Triscuit, Triscuit, Triscuit all the way. Yes, they're more expensive. You get what you pay for in the cracker uh, industry, kind of, kind of like the jury consulting industry, the witness prep industry. Uh, and I'm going to end my rant right there. Triscuits all the way, folks. And Brenda and I are going to have it out uh, over the next two days over this topic. Well, I agree. I agree with that. And uh, this, we'll have to come back on again, apparently, and do another deep dive analysis on crackers and whatnot. Uh, I have so. other, I have other things to analyze here, but I just wanted to throw that out there. Yeah. If, you, if you're hosting, if you're hosting a party that doesn't have six-year-olds and you're gonna have cheese and crackers, you go get yourself some Trisk and just skip over the wheat thins. My gosh, if they, like, yeah, you have to like have nine of them in your mouth to like nine nine wheat thins equals one Trisk. Yes, is my great. is my thought on this. Great analysis, Doctor Kanaski, along with everything else. So, Thank you. Hey, happy uh, happy 2023, everybody. Ooh. Take us out, Stu. Yes, happy 2023. This has been another edition of Litigation Psychology Podcast brought to you by Courtroom Sciences. See ya.